Number 111, Jonathan has asked that we mark that. We certainly look forward to singing that at the appropriate time in our service this morning. And we look forward, as always, to worshiping our Father in heaven in truth and in spirit, John 4, verse 24. As I look over the audience today, as often times we are, we're blessed with a good number of our, of our number here at Pippin, and for that we're so thankful. But also visitors who have come our way, and for you, we want you to know that we are happy you're here, and we hope you find the service uplifting and encouraging. It is the case today that perhaps one small announcement relative to the services this evening would be in order. As you know, we look forward to the meeting at the 5.30 hour tonight. It, it is the case that Brother Jack Honeycutt has a, uh, contacted our elders and has asked if he might come and at least use some time to share with us about the recent uh, trip that he and a number of others made to India. We have been a supporter of that work for some time here at the congregation. Even our youngsters collect monies in their classroom. And so we look forward to Jack sharing with us about that trip, the successes of it, and the work of the Lord as it's taking place in India. So come back tonight. We'll have a little bit shorter lesson, and then we'll use an extended time for Jack to share those matters with us. As you may have noted for the title of the lesson this morning, it has to do with the dress of a prostitute. It is the case, as you may have noted, Matt reading from Proverbs chapter 7, verse 10, that the explicit reference was made on that interesting occasion that Solomon warned about meeting a woman who had the attire of an harlot. The attire of an harlot. I would invite you to then consider with me over the next few moments this morning what may have been meant by Solomon on that occasion and what warnings there are present in that for you and for me, even these centuries and centuries removed from that day and time. Some introductory thoughts might well be in order. I've tried to ask you to think about these as it surrounds the importance of what we wear, the importance of our clothing, the significance of that in many ways cannot be overstated. The Bible has so much to say about the impression that's made by what we wear and the considerations relative to our standing before God because of it. Just some introductory thoughts. You might recall in Genesis 41, 14, that on that occasion, though Joseph had been in prison, he nonetheless, before appearing before the English, or rather the Egyptian king, the monarch, the Pharaoh, he prepared himself in rightful attire. Although much might be stated about it, certainly one lesson is this. What we wear has a degree of appropriateness attached to it. What is worn in one place may not be appropriate for another. You'll notice our resources, at least in this land, are so abundant that really it's easy to appreciate we have ready access to that which can be appropriate in what we wear. For those reasons, those next two comments lead us to notice that more frankly, it's a matter of the heart. It's not that we can't avail ourselves of rightful clothing if we do not. It's a matter of a problem with the heart. It's a matter of a problem with that in which we stand before the God of heaven with our intellect and our desire and our base wishes in life. It is for those reasons that we'll turn to the Bible today and allow the God of heaven to address us relative to clothing and what should be understood about it. As you can see at the bottom of that slide, may I ask that each of us, with honesty, with openness, and with a strong element of integrity, simply ask, what does the God of heaven say about it, and what do I typically wear? 
May we not try to justify, excuse it, or rationalize it, but if change is in order, may we have the courage and may we have the bravery to do it. The dress of a prostitute. You may notice in that text that we read a moment ago, again, reference was made to the attire. That is to say, the clothes that are worn by a harlot. I believe each of us have in mind, sadly enough, there are those who make their living, or at least some part of their living, as prostitutes. Sexual favors they're willing to sell from their body toward others who are willing to pay. And isn't it true that they tend to dress in a particular way? They wish to dress to attract the clientele. They wish to dress to expose what should be exposed for their line of work. Solomon made inspired reference to the fact there are those that dress that way. And may we then carefully consider what's involved in the dress of a prostitute. As we look forward to that study, at least asking what God has to say about it, here are some reflections upon the matter of clothing. What is clothing? Why do we wear it? What's involved in the appreciation of it? That immediately takes us back to the opening chapters in the Bible, doesn't it? In Genesis chapter 2, we recall at that point in time, Adam and Eve were naked and they were not shamed. Genesis 2.25, in fact, the closing verse to that chapter highlights both those thoughts. They were naked, both of them, and they were not ashamed. That was an age and a time prior to sin entering the world in which there had not yet been the need to cover the body. There was no shame in presenting it, even in its full and openness and all that that brought. However, the matter changed quickly. The very first verse of the very next chapter highlights that the subtle serpent came before Eve, and we recall that ultimately she partook of that forbidden fruit, gave unto her husband, he partook of it as well. And you'll notice one of the very first things that Adam and Eve did. They took fig leaves and sewed them together, and made themselves aprons. They knew that with sin now in the, in the place of this world, with the reality of their transgression of God's commandment and the violation of it, now it was inappropriate to be naked. It was inappropriate to expose oneself in the way that they had done in innocence before. As you can see in light of that, they sewed these fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. As you can appreciate in light of that, isn't it interesting, those aprons that they fashioned, those aprons that they made, among other things, does that point out that there was something about them knowing that it was inappropriate to be naked, attempting to cover those portions and those parts of the body. Don't you consider it a little bit ironic? that if the purpose of clothing is to cover the body, and yet it seems as if there are manufacturers and there is a public crying out for clothing to cover as little of the body as possible. Clothing that seems to expose more than it covers. The tragedy and sadness of that brings us to again to reflect even more thoroughly upon what happened in that early stage in time. Maybe the next slide will lead us in that direction even more so. The Bible speaks so much about clothing that we'll need to be a little bit restricted in the references that we make. But here are just a few of the references that you and I are so readily able to appreciate. 
First of all, clothing served a purpose. It was worn in appropriateness at a specified time and for a specified purpose. In Joel 1.8 and Nehemiah 9.1, reference on those two occasions is made to a particular clothing worn in the case of lamentation, in the case of great sorrow. And that clothing was sackcloth. Sackcloth in the ancient era wasn't just worn all the time. It was adorned when there was great grief in one's mind. It was adorned when there was a particular cause of great tragedy and sadness. And in these instances, that was the occasion of wearing it. People put it on in those days of joy because a plague of locusts was eating everything up. They were starving. In so doing, they were in lamentation, a great element in grief. In John the Baptist's day, we recall he was a very rugged and very peculiar individual in many ways. In addition to his diet, we recall that he, of course, wore camel's hair and a leather girdle. Notice again his clothing associated to the kind of preaching and the kind of man that he was. Isn't it interesting in light of all of that? Surely it can be said then that our clothing really does express the condition of the heart. And it expressed the wishes of the mind. I would ask you to think about some of these matters. If you and I see an individual who, in fact, is dressed in a particular way, it's not that difficult to make conclusions about what that element in clothing speaks and what it says. Here are just a few examples. If a person dresses extraordinarily extravagantly and does so seemingly all the time, it's not difficult to appreciate that person likes the finery attached to that kind of clothing. That person, in fact, is willing to expend large amounts of money to obtain that clothing so that it can be worn. By the same token, if an individual chooses to wear very modest clothing, covering the body appropriately, even in all places, in all arenas, and everywhere they're ever seen. One can conclude that person has a desire and a heart whose wish is to not only be modest, but to never behave in such a way to lead others to stumble by thinking things that they ought not. The very opposite to that, though, is the bottom one I've listed. What if an individual does dress provocatively? What if an individual does dress in a way that exposes portions of the body and does so seemingly in a very steamy fashion? Is it not easy to see that then the following is true? There's only two potential possibilities. Either the person purposefully dressed that way, that is to say they wanted to dress in a way to catch the eyes of others, the opposite sex. They wanted to dress in a way that would lead to the considerations of desires on the part of others. Or they dressed that way in ignorance. They perhaps have done so watching others about them and never thought about what it involves. Either way, may I suggest, is a tragedy. Either way is a terrible sadness and reflection upon what the person should understand. Proverbs 7 verse 10 again makes reference to the attire of an harlot. Would you want your daughter, would you want your son as they were dressing, would you want others to say he or she is dressed like a prostitute? As a parent I'd be ashamed. As a friend, even a distant relative, I'd be ashamed, wouldn't you? 
And yet Solomon made reference to the fact there were those dressing like that in that ancient era. And may I suggest there seemingly still are multitudes dressing that way. It is for those reasons as we come to the bottom of that slide, these questions for all of us, for you and for me, for parents, for grandparents, great-grandparents, uncles, aunts, and friends alike. What do you want your children and grandchildren how do you want their dress to be considered by others who are knowledgeable of what it's like to be godly and holy? Would you want an elder of the church to have questions about how your son or daughter are dressed? Would you want your Bible school teacher to be ashamed upon the way that our children might be dressed? If your children or mine are seen in Walmart on Tuesday of this week, by an elder of a nearby congregation, would you want them to be somewhat shocked by what they see us wearing? Those are honest questions. They're questions that all of us need to carefully and very seriously consider. In fact, as we consider them for the rest of the lesson this morning, it'll be questions that will lead to a number of potential considerations. And may we start here. It goes without saying. In light of our earlier observations from the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapters 2 and 3, that not all clothing is acceptable. Not all clothing is appropriate. There are some articles of clothing, quite frankly, that ought not be worn in public. There are some articles of clothing that have stepped beyond the bounds of propriety and the bounds of modesty. Go back to that scene in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve first were naked, no shame involved, but then once sin had entered the world, the first thing nearly that they did was to try and cover their nakedness by using fig leaves. Did you ever notice that the thing that they made with those fig leaves by sewing them together is called an apron? That's the King James word at least, an apron. That word in the Hebrew literally means a girdle, a belt, or a covering for the loins. It appears as though from that word they covered a minimal part of those sexual areas of the body. But did you also notice as that chapter unfolds that apparently those aprons were not satisfactory because you notice 14 verses later God made them some clothing. It would appear that if the aprons had been satisfactory there would have been no need for God to make something more. But yet verse 21 says that God took skins and made them clothing. One can rest assured that clothing was adequate. That clothing was successfully covering the parts of the body that needed to be covered, that needed to be concealed. And so we see that aprons, as they existed first, it would appear were not satisfactory. They were inappropriate. As you can see, relative to those aprons, what was it God made? The word used there is a coat. Now you and I may not think of a coat the same way that word suggests it because that word there means a tunic or a long shirt-like garment. You see, God didn't just cover selected small portions of the body. The coat that He made was far more extensive and far more conducive to modesty by both Adam and Eve. Isn't it interesting in light of that element of immodesty on that occasion, some of the things you and I see today, isn't it a bit surprising and somewhat shocking that one can now walk through Walmart 
and on public display ready to be purchased are these articles of clothing that quite frankly cover nearly nothing. It's even less than what one might have appreciated as an apron in the distant days of the long ago. And yet these are for public purchase, they are for public presentation, they are for public wearing. The shocking thing about some of that immodesty is, of course, what appears next. The Bible has so much to say about it as it challenges us in an age and in a time, not only in the ancient era, but certainly even today. In 1 Timothy 2, we have an extended discussion about some characteristics for public behavior. Now, much of that chapter, it would seem, relates to matters in worship. It relates to what's involved in prayer. It relates to women's roles as it relates to the worship services of the church. It relates to other matters touching even considerations of our mediator, Jesus Christ. But it is intriguing that in the midst of a chapter like that one, we find verses 8 and 9 where statements are made about the nature of clothing, the articles that are worn, the features that they are to occupy, and also some things that are lacking. Let's devote a few moments and reflect on that verse. At the very top, I've listed the major feature, verse 9, that will be of interest to us at least this morning. Modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety. That's commanded of women. They are again to wear modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety. When you and I think about what those words suggest, let's develop some considerations that can be helpful to us. So what does it mean to wear clothing that's modest? What does it mean to wear clothing that could be described as having shamefacedness and can be described as having sobriety? I will attempt over the next few moments to define some of them using a Greek lexicon. So hopefully an attachment to what those original words meant. First of all, the word modest. It means to dress in a way characterized by respectability, appropriateness, and modesty. May I suggest that thought of respectability is a very interesting one. To dress in a way that leads not to doubts and suspicions on the mind of others, but leads them to have respect for who one is and what one stands for. Our clothing does speak volumes along that line, doesn't it? In fact, in colleges and universities, it's not unusual for there to be an office, an office of student services in which they help students get jobs. They teach them how to write resumes, but may I suggest one of the things that, among others that they do is it tells them how to dress for an interview. You don't just walk in with blue jeans or overalls at a Fortune 500 company and expect to get a job. You dress as a man or a woman ought to professionally, and you should expect that there's certain attire that is adequate, that is appropriate, and there's others that's not. It's as if God has also some thoughts in mind for Christians. There's some address that is professional, if you will, for a Christian, and there's other dress that's not. And we thus ought not besmirch the character of the Master, the name that we wear, by wearing clothes that call into question that for which He stood and that for which He died. Among other things, what about shamefacedness? That word originally has to do with modesty or the thought of appropriate reverence. 
Finally, there's this word sobriety. That one attaches to the thought of being in mental control, control of one's actions, control of one's mind, self-control, if you will. But it also includes the thoughts of sensibleness and moderation. Putting all of that together, there is then much to be said about that which is chosen to be worn. Wouldn't you say that we have been given commandment for our garments, our clothing, our attire, our dress to be respectable, to have modesty, and to show good judgment, sensibility, adequacy, appropriateness. And if our dress, our attire calls into question any of that, then we've erred. We have strayed across the line of what God has stated for you and me to wear. Thus, at the bottom of the slide, what might that say about immodest apparel? If you look at those definitions, modesty is a part of the definition for modest. It's a part of the statement for shamefacedness. It's clear that if we have strayed into the attire of immodesty, we have strayed from what God has taught. We've strayed from what His intent is for the life of an upstanding, righteous, and pious, godly person. It is for those reasons, our dress, this little statement that I have put together at the bottom, our dress is not dressed to be chaste, C-H-A-S-E-D, it's dressed to be chaste, C-H-A-S-T-E. There's a large difference in those two words. What does it mean then for this dress not to be C-H-A-S-E-D? Our dress is not to make others chase after what our body is and what it has. This slide then is this. Any clothing, any clothing that is worn in a way that it encourages wandering eyes and lustful thoughts is sinful clothing. It's clothing that you and I ought to be wished to stay far distant from. Because after all, to sin ourselves or to encourage someone else to have sinful thoughts is a tragic thing. We could then have a role to play in someone else being lost. Someone else not being right with God because they look on what ought not be seen. It is for those reasons as you look down that listing, that final statement on that, uh, on, on the, on that slide, some good questions might in fact for us to be asked. Do you and I wear clothing that leads to the inappropriate thoughts on the part of somebody else? We'll address each one of the sexes in that light. Men, are you guilty of wearing anything in public or failing to wear enough clothing so that others looking upon your body see things that might perhaps lead to thoughts, considerations, wondering matters that lead them to think what ought not be thought? I know that there are many men, it seems, in the working world, be it construction, be it other kinds of outdoor activities, that they often wear nothing but shorts, top not covered, bottom not covered in any extensive way. It seems to me in light of verses like this, are you tempting a woman, especially if one is young with a physique that could be appropriately prepared, are you tempting a woman to look and to think what she ought not think? If so, you're in the wrong. If I do that, so am I. Ladies, what about portions of the female physique and the female body? 
is your dress low enough to where your breasts or portions thereof are exposed? Is your skirt or your shorts high enough, again, so that there's easy access visually to what ought not be seen? If so, then you're in the wrong. And you need to wear more clothing, covering up more extensive parts of the body. It is an interesting thing that some time ago that the statement was made by a gentleman serving at the Lord's table. That as he served at the Lord's table, when it came to certain aisles and places, he had to look away because women, even at the services of the church, were wearing so little that there was too much seen. That's a shame. To assemble with a church, if that's male or female, and portions are not covered, that men at the Lord's table, rather than thinking about the Lord that died for them, are having to think about looking away, that's a shame. And it's a tragedy. I say that to say that at congregations, we even need to be careful. What do we wear when we come to the services? Is it respectful of the Lord? Is it respectful of the fact we've come not to adorn our body, but to adore His? And to appreciate that it is the blessed body of Christ, that's the matter for which we've gathered. As we think about that question, Romans 14, 21 warns us that we must never do anything to cause someone else purposefully to stumble. Paul even said with, with regard to meat or be it in regard to various matters taken into the body such as liquids. He says, if it causes my brother to stumble, I will eat no meat. Surely we can then make our choices of what we wear. And we can do so in a way that is modest and holy in its presentation. Those questions prompt each of us to make this observation. I realize that as parents and as adults, we are basically the ones responsible for what our children wear. A youngster is likely going to choose what the friends at school choose. A youngster is likely going to choose what's popular. There may be a time, dads, when we've got to say to Susie, Susie, that's just not appropriate. You need to put that up and you need to put something else on. Or when you're at the store, Susie, we're not going to buy that. That's not becoming of a young Christian lady. There might be the same when we have to make those statements even to, to our, our sons. Son, you're going out to mow the yard. You put on more clothes than that. Son, in public, those shorts are too short. That's not appropriate behavior and dress for a young Christian man. I say that to say that as parents, we'll have to put our foot down sometimes. We need, be, need to be the ones to recognize that as we train up our children, we'll have to be stern on occasion. They may not like it. But ultimately, at least at those younger ages, what's worn basically rests with us as parents. May we urge them to ever realize their body is special. They need to be preserving it for the one whom they'll marry, and it's not open to be ogled by everybody, wherever they may be. It is to be covered. It is to be a prized matter for a special individual someday. For those reasons, look at what's next. The one who then wears this sensual, tantalizing kind of clothing is one that seems very clearly to be contributing either purposefully or at least indirectly, to those wandering thoughts of, a, of another. But what was it Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10, 32? He said, Give none occasion to the flesh. 
Now that word none is a very encompassing term, isn't it? How much occasion, Paul? A little? Moderation? Paul said none. May we appreciate as we help our children to grow that from an early age they learn what modest clothing is like and they're never interested to wear anything else. But even as you and I face those issues of being older, I know in public, so many have not been trained this way. So many think that you can wear anything and no matter what it leads to in the thoughts of others. But after all, that's not what the Bible allows us to appreciate. We should strive then not to put stumbling blocks before others. You'll notice that among other things, that one who wears such clothing sets an awfully poor example. That example highlighted in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Paul there on that occasion said, Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Question, can you imagine Jesus approving of what you're wearing? If there's the slightest doubt that the Lord wouldn't be approving of it, change. Wear something else. Wear something of which you can rest assured that if you were to meet Him in public, if that were possible, that He would have no issues or problems with what you're wearing. If as long as that condition were the case, you can feel good about the nature of what you're wearing. But shorts and other kinds of clothing, blouses, dresses that are cut far too low, lead to great problems, as we'll see in this very last matter. One who wears that kind of clothing, quite frankly, disrespects yourself. You and I are special individuals, purchased by the very blood of Christ, as Christians at least. And in so doing, He died that you and I might be saved. We're made in His image and in His likeness. Our clothing should reflect that character. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 13 to 20, a lengthy set of verses in many ways, but much is said, and verse 13 puts it like this, The body is not made for fornication, but rather it's made for the Lord. Think about what that suggests. If a person wears the attire of an harlot, the attire of a prostitute, which is again the title of the lesson, then you are dressing in a way that encourages thoughts of fornication what that body has to see, perhaps how good it might look to others. And you're leading others to have fornicating kind of thoughts. But Paul said the body wasn't made for that purpose. The body was made for the Lord to highlight His will, what His thoughts would be and the kind of dress and all the features of life. There are so many things then that are in error about dressing like a prostitute. That doesn't change the fact that our world does it. So often it's encouraged. Maybe you're aware that in schools, now we have to have these formal dress codes. Boys and girls can't wear this, they can't wear this, they can't wear this. And all that came about because they were beginning to wear it. And that's a shame. But you and I see that God doesn't want those matters shown, exposed and displayed. Those again are to be covered. May you and I then be selective as we go to buy clothes. I realize some manufacturers make clothes to expose a lot because that's what sells. That merely means that we must be more selective in what we buy. Or if we buy it, then alter it at the house to fix it up so that it is modest in its display. All of these issues of immodesty 
bring us to a set of concluding thoughts on this last slide. Clothing is very important. Although it might occupy a lesser attention in the mind of some, that doesn't change the fact that it is an open display for others. And if you and I are Christians, and if we are intending to live a life of holiness and respectfulness, our clothing will mimic those ideas. But if we're loose in our consideration, and if we're more worldly in our thinking, and if we're materialistic in our goals and objectives, our clothing will also have those characteristics in it as well. What kind of clothing are you wearing, and what kind of statements is it making? Are others aware of what you stand for partly because your clothing states you're Christian? Or are they much more questioning of that fact because your clothing says a different message than what your mouth does? May all of us be very careful. May we strive to insist our children be careful. Today, if a sin such as this one or even others has clouded your life and you never have been forgiven of these things, why not today make it right with the Lord? The plan of salvation for anyone that's not a member of the body of Christ is this. Hear the blessed message of truth. Believe Jesus with all your heart to be the Son of God. Acts 8.37 Repent of the sins in your life, whatever they may have been. That repentance commanded in Acts 2.38. Confess the name of Jesus as your Savior in the promise and wording of Romans 10 verses 9 and 10 and be baptized for the remission of sins. Again, Acts 2.38 if you've done that, you entered the body of Christ, you were saved from sin, you were able to walk faithfully until death, but maybe you haven't. Maybe you've erred from the pathway of righteousness. You've wandered astray. You need to make a U-turn on that and come back to the way of the Lord. If we could pray for you, with you, in light of forgiveness, to beseech God to forgive you of sin, we'd be happy to do it. Brother Jonathan has chosen a song of encouragement, and this is a, a happy time it's an opportune time, and if we could be of assistance to you today, won't you let that be known if you would at once while together we stand and while we sing.